Hello, love. Welcome to the Kin Spirit Podcast. Before you enter in, I just want to brief you real quick that this recording was a salvaged recording. It was a salvaged file. The original file was damaged, and this is the one that we um, were able to recover. Although it's still good, it's still got all the good juice, there might just be one or two words that are missing here and there. It's not super disruptive to the recording. Um, it's not choppy. It didn't feel like something that needed to be recorded again, but I did want to just give you a little heads up that there might be one or two spots that you might miss a word or two, but the point and the goodness and the juice and the channel is still there. So I hope that this podcast episode serves you as you enter into spring, enter into airy season, and carry all the contemplations and the questions that this podcast offers. Thank you so much for listening. Your listenership means the world to me. Enjoy. There is a reason why we need spring and sunrises, birth and new beginnings. We can't swim in the depths and death of the underworld forever. Our bodies crave the cyclical way. Our bodies crave the knowing that there will always be a second chance waiting for us around the bend somewhere and at some point in the future. Otherwise, what would be the point of living? Spring offers us that chance to remember that grace, grace, grace is woven into everything. There is no eternal damnation except for through our own choosing. And even if we did choose it, even if we did choose to fracture ourselves off into the darkness forever, there's always a hand that is reaching out to pull us back in. We only have to say that we want it. We only have to say that we want the resurrection. We want the shift. We want the turning. We want the warmth of the cool spring dawn. Thank you for listening to the Kin Spirit Podcast, a podcast about imagining and crafting a more whole world. In these episodes, I'll be sharing conversations with people that I believe have beautiful perspectives, asking questions like, how might we craft futures of wholeness? What does that look like, taste like, feel like? What does it look like in our work, in our relationships with ourselves and each other, and in our relationship with the mystery and our myths? How can we allow wholeness to be centered in our human evolution and global creative processes? How can we craft a vision of the future that can really hold all of us? I hope these episodes support you in your own inquiry into these questions. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Ken Spirit Podcast. It feels really good to be saying Ken Spirit podcast because I feel like, you know, since Ken Spirit began back in August, I have been waiting since then to shift the podcast name. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I didn't know when I would feel that inner permission to uh, bring a new name through, but right around at the one year mark of Regenerative Mystic being the name of the podcast, um, it felt right to say, okay, let's shift, let's turn the page, let's bring more congruence and coherence 
into this body of work um, that will sow slow roots over time and grow in its own path of becoming. So I'm just in surrender to that and really thankful to be a steward of this space and these conversations and to just, yeah, just sort of be here and be in listening relationship with what wants to happen, what wants to come through in this specific medium of art, this podcast. Speaking of art, I feel like this season, um, the last part of winter has invited me to continue to deconstruct and de-layer any specific roles or titles or um, performances or ways of being that have kept me trapped in kind of a story of my work that I felt like I was always trying to configure, always trying to make sense of. I felt like this season was asking me to surrender, to step into my Saturn return through the spirit of surrender and allow change to take place. Now, you know that I'm such a huge fan of change. I am a student, um, an apprentice to change in the creative process and regeneration and evolution. So it doesn't surprise me that as a Saturn Pisces native, a very early degree, zero degree Saturn Pisces native, that I would be asked to surrender. Now, I'm one of those Saturn Pisces natives who was born in 93. So as my peers, as my um, friends were moving through their Aquarian Saturn return, I also felt like I was catching that wave um, sympathetically to some degree. Uh, So I felt somewhat prepared to say, okay, I'm going to get into this place of surrender. Um, And being in in the place and being on the land that I'm, I'm on here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the desert also came up as a spirit, as a force, as a witness to this deep surrendering that I was being called and being asked to allow into my life. And the the desert in all of its beauty and all of its like clarity, there's there's really not a lot of energetic clutter here in New Mexico when I'm out on the land. And so being with the desert helped me to ground and clarify and not get caught up in all kinds of shame projections. I understand that we live in a culture that values a certain kind of consistency. People can get triggered and whiplashy about when people move through transition and change, but I also, um, and I have a lot of like compassion for that, but I also want to witness that the world around us is changing rapidly, um, whether we like it or not. And um, and as a creator, as a diviner, as a doula, it's part of my role to be in relationship with that. Um, not necessarily to be whipped around by all the transits and by all the change, but to just be in a dance, be in relationship with what is happening here on earth and what my medicine, what my soul is calling me to bring. So this change of name is just a little bit of a dialing in, a tuning in um, that has been wanting to happen for a while, but now is the time, the spring equinox, it doesn't surprise me, um, that right here at the spring equinox, um, I'm looking at 
a new tone, a new change, an invitation to step out of death and into a resurrection, into life, into movement, stepping out of a massive, you know, I was fluctuating between a freeze response and, um, you know, and sort of a, a, a flee response and a little bit of a fight response throughout the last, you know, six weeks or so moving through deep change, which I'll share a little bit about here in a second, but I feel excited for the warmth of spring. I feel excited for the energetic signature of spring anchoring us all into the earth, inviting us to seek new potentials, to step into new spaces and new wilds and embrace the goodness that wants to come forth while also um, interfacing with the tensions that life offers us to move through, to be with, or to transmute altogether. So I want to open up today's podcast episode by just saying that I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you um, have stuck with me all this time uh, through the change. I think that this should be the last podcast name change for a while, but also I'm really thankful for you uh, being an inquiry with your own medicine here in the world, right? So I, I would imagine that if you're someone who listens to this podcast, you're asking big questions too, questions that feel bigger than your body, bigger than the room. And sometimes it can be overwhelming to hold those questions. So you, like me, you are seeking out resources, seeking out other people who are having these conversations, asking these questions too, so that you know that you're not alone as you're doing your part in bringing your medicine and it's really beautiful to have folks like you here, podcast community and our listenership. Um, it feeds the energy of what we're bringing through. It makes it more beautiful when you show up and you ask your own question. So I'm thankful that you're here. So this podcast episode is about um, spring beginnings and spring initiation, but I also want to talk about the period just before the dawn breaks, right? There is this period just before the dawn breaks when when it feels like the sky is at its darkest and it's starting to become a little bit more colorful and lighter and bruised, but it's not quite um, it's not quite day, right? It's not quite day. There is a birthing. There is a um, sort of percolating that's happening in the sky. And this percolation reminds me a lot of desert medicine. It's, you know, a lot of people, you know, think about some, some people wake up at like 3 a.m. I wake up at 3 a.m. a lot and we call that the ancestor hour. It's also this place where the veil between worlds, you know, is, is thin and the dreams that we're having and the messages that we're see, receiving become a little bit more clear if we're tuning in. And this reminds me a lot of like desert medicine where, as soon as I moved out here, as soon as I decided to move out here, I could feel the desert piercing my sternum. Um, there was no separation between me and the land. I felt like there was this clarifying energy that was just coming through and, and sort of cleansing me, cleansing me of all of my you know, doubts, all of my concerns, but also bringing me deeper into the void. So it was like at the same time, I was feeling clear, but I was also being drawn deeper into the mystery, deeper into the nothingness, and was invited to configure. I remember there was this moment 
um, a couple of weeks after I'd moved where I went to um, one of the arroyos in, in close to where I live. And an arroyo is basically a, a dry riverbed. So we have all of these like rivers around in Santa Fe, but most of them are dry, completely bone dry. And I remember praying and off, making an offering to the river. And I remember the river saying, we want you to bring your medicine, bring your medicine, bring your medicine, right? The land was like, bring everything that you are imagining. We want you to bring that here. And then also feeling the stark uh, feeling of like offering oranges and um, stones and, and, you know, little herbs in the midst of the desert, bringing this juicy fruit into a bone dry arroyo. And it kind of felt like that. It was like there was this sort of like seeding of the imaginal into the dark, into the void. And and it, it like the pieces didn't quite make biological sense. Like you like this juicy, ripe, split open orange lying bare on the desert sand. It can kind of be like that sometimes. So this moment right before the spring dawns um, or or the the sunrise breaks over the horizon, there can kind of be this like this experience of seeding into the dark, seeding a poem, seeding a prayer. Um, there is this quiet stillness. It's the witching hour, right? Where there's all this palpable creativity in the body. There's this like gentle movement that's wanting to happen. Our senses are more aligned and attuned. And it's a beautiful time for ritual and prayer because our like we can feel it more, right? We can just quite, we're just quite a bit more permeable to um to the spirit realm right and so desert medicine kind of reminds me of this and it reminds me of like how you know yes there is depth yes there is death yes there is grief yes there is emptiness yes there is dark And there is an invitation to sort of bring your own juice, um, bring your own sort of star, bring your own seed of imagination, bring your voice and let it pierce through the dark with your song, with your poem, with your prayer. It will be heard. It will be heard. So the last month or so, I've been learning a lot and I've been releasing a lot. It's been a time of great great death, (laughs) Um, deep change, evolution. It's been a time of learning a lot about what I desire in my relationships and what I really truly desire in community. It's been a time of really, you know, allowing my values to be tested. Like, do I really value the relational way? Do I really value restorative justice? Do I really value regeneration? Do I really value these things that I share online and write about and imagine through? Do I really value this enough to practice these things? And so the last few weeks have shown me this. I've gone through um, a pretty... It's, it's been a really hard um, and kind of traumatic breakup, to say the very least, um, and also have gone through um, some just like remembering familial things, lots of flashbacks coming up, 
um, lots of like spiritual death and awakening and coming to terms, lots of time in therapy, lots of time. Um, I had three therapists the last you know, six weeks um, to support me through this season. And I'll share a little bit more about that. Um, I've had like my my mentor, Yael, my guides, you know, I've had community come come around me to support me. It's been a time of being in that in that in-between realm, but like in a really real way. So when I say that, I'm not just waxing poetic on you. I'm really like really letting you know that it's been a dark time where I was so close to being uh, mentally fractured in some ways. Um, but, but I'll show you how I pulled through that, how I made it through that. Like, you know, I sound very clear and in my body right now, but a couple of weeks ago, I was so, I was almost like a shell of myself. Um, and what I knew about what I was moving through was that it was, there. these things were transiting through me. So they weren't ever becoming my identity. They weren't even my therapists were like, this is not, <laughs> this is not, um, this is not worth a lifelong sentence or diagnosis. You are like some of what, if we want to put a term to it, what you're moving through is shock and PTSD, CPTSD, right? So getting really real about the, like the texture of that, it was really hard for me. Um, and, you know, I'm always really careful when I'm sharing these stories of what I'm moving through and what I'm transiting through because I never want people to feel uncomfortable with my story, but I also know that there's power in being and showing up as radically human. And I feel very held in my narrative. I feel very held in my, my experience. So I don't need anyone else to hold it for me, but me and my people and um, my trusted support system at this point. So, and there's also a clarity and a medicine that I feel in sharing this. So I want you to know that this is where I'm coming from is like, this is desert medicine. Desert medicine is like grief medicine. It's emptiness medicine. It's darkness medicine where you are taken to the very edge of your hunger and you are asked to greet yourself in the bare bones version of who you are, right? Greeting not just um, the most inspirational, alive, happy version of you, but the you that is... Um, the you that feels exiled, abandoned, shattered, disregarded, discarded. I felt all of those things, right? On multiple levels, not even just at the ending of my relationship, but I felt these like communal wounds. I felt, you know, daddy-daughter wounds. I felt all of these things come rising up to the surface, all of my water rising up to the surface to be met, um, to be seen. It was almost like, you know, there was a portal for me to scry into and I could choose to only see, you know, this distorted, distracted, discarded reflection of myself, or I could put my finger into the water and begin to create a new potential, begin to stir up a new story um, that could actually feel a bit more true to where I wanted to go. And so in this season, the last six to eight weeks, I've been asked to take people off of, including myself, right? So like, you know, what I mean by that is like, I, I and all other people are deeply, deeply existentially human. And we all have the potential to, to just live parts of the human experience that we never thought that we did 
before. No one is exempt. We're all making choices in our humanity here. Um, I learned a lot that, you know, sometimes people have really beautiful values and dreams, but are not willing to practice those values and dreams or don't feel like it's somatically available to practice those values and dreams. And, um, and, and that is part of the reality that we live in is like, you know, no matter how much we pray or, or dream or imagine, sometimes other people, um, may share a dream with you, but are not willing to step into what's required to bring that very practical dream forward. And I'm talking about things like, you know, radical repair, restoration work, actually grieving, uh, looking at the shadows, looking at the dark, those kinds of things, right? And so, um, and just recognizing that this was a this was the opposite, like of how I wanted to convene. This is the you know I don't want to fight to move toward these values of being in the relational way. I don't want to um, have to go through so much intensity and pain to move in these ways that I know and have witnessed and have seen. Um, bring people together and grow us up into our wholeness. Sometimes people feel more comfortable um, fracturing themselves and other people off. And there's nothing I can do to stop people from doing that um, if that's what they're choosing. And so I've gotten to taste some really big, sad and Pisces lessons of, of people will choose the reality that feels um, the most available, that most the most viable to them, and some people won't step outside of the box um, of what they've always known, even though they dream for something else because it feels unsafe, right? And then this idea of being unsafe starts to feel a little bit, um, yeah. There's like you start to see nuances with the word safe, right? Where it's like, you know. I'm, you know, I've, I've started to ask some really, really deep, challenging questions for myself. Like, is the goal of my life to be safe or is the goal of my life to be um, true, to be in resonance with, with what I'm feeling called to see happen on the earth? Is, is the goal of my life to be safe all the time? Because I know for sure, especially after doing years and years of courage work, that my body will feel unsafe in situations that are actually really good for me. But that's not because the situations that are unsafe, it's because I have conditioning, I have templates, I have patterns, I have ways of being that have um, been ingrained in my system. And my body couples certain really innocent things in the world, like, you know, um, the grocery store with you know, the feeling of insafety or the going to a potluck or going to, you know, a, a book study or meeting up with a new friend, my body starts to feel unsafe. And I've learned how to track that in my body and recognize what's showing up and offer my body grace and offer my body a sense of inner safety. Um, because just because the body feels unsafe, it doesn't mean it's intuitional, um, sometimes it's just like a patterning of like, I was hurt in this situation in the past and now I associate all situations in the future with this moment of hurt or pain. And so asking these questions about what safety actually is and 
Um, and, you know, getting more nuanced with these things around, okay, I'm actually, what I'm actually really looking for is, is resonance. What I'm actually looking for is a sense of like communal willingness, um, to, to cultivate a spirit of safety, a spirit, a spirit of a safe environment, right? And recognizing that any one person won't be safe for me all of the time, um, in the sense that my body won't always respond to them in a way that is securely attached and to have grace for that. And that's a little bit of, of of the last month and a half or so of like how I've been moving through this and, you know, the level of, I can't say that I, you know, have done it so like elegantly. It hasn't felt elegant. It's actually felt really messy for me. Um, it's caused me to have to like take a break from work for about a month solid and, um, like, you know, really have to do a lot of work to show up to the spaces that I was contracted to show up to, but really having to do a lot of internal, um, work, in my solitude and with the therapist that I was working with to actually cope with, you know, the things that were showing up, the things that were happening in my life, right? And what I also want to name too is like this, what I could, what I could see and what I could discern was this wasn't just an isolated incident, right? It was, it was, it was an initiation. It was a threshold to cross. It was new territory that I was entering into very much like how the desert, when you first enter into the desert after, you know, I've been living my whole life in a subtropical climate, Tennessee. Um, but like entering into the desert was such an initiation for me. So having to embrace the death, sort of the death portal that is this land, not that it's bad that the desert is a bit of a death portal, but recognizing what that is going to do to me, a highly sensitive person, how I need to walk with that, how I am here to move with that as a being. Um, it's been really powerful. It's been incredibly medicinal. It's been um, beautiful. And so I want to drop a layer deeper here because I really want to get real about this and just remind you all that, you know, I am an artist, I'm a space holder, I'm, you know, and I have a lot of training in a lot of ways, but at the bare bones right now, what I am is a storyteller and I'm holding space for the real true stories that are showing up in our culture. So in my sort of emails and in my one-to-one sessions with clients and in my DMs, what people are talking about right right now, um, what people are holding is this feeling of emptiness, right? We're, we're all like sort of edging that threshold of like, does it really matter? Um, Things keep changing. Things keep getting worse. Does my life matter here on earth? And yes, I'm talking about suicidality. I'm talking about death. I'm talking about when people are awakening and they don't have folks around and behind them to support that awakening process. Um, The romanticization of awakening, which might be a really great podcast episode, um, because most people, when they go through a real deep world initiation and awakening into um, their sight and their power, what they also experience is a bit of psychosis as well, right? So it comes with the territory. And I really want to, I really want to level the playing field and, and destigmatize this conversation and talk about it. I want to talk about the texture. I want to embrace um, the reality of this suicidality, um, 
psychosis, death, and um, these deep world initiations, and the power of the body to become rooted, but what actually practically needs to happen for that rooting to take place. So one of the things that I'm really sitting with too in this, and I feel like this is desert medicine, is like it's super bypass you to tell people, oh, you just need to get rooted. Oh, here, do this meditation. Um, Oh, you need to just get regulated in order to move through this initiation. No, people need and are missing and are craving for the village <laughs> at the very base level. They're craving for elders. They're craving for guides. They're craving for for um, folks in their life to hold them up behind and before through these experiences of, of, of interfacing with desert medicine, right? We need that. We need that. And and I'm sorry, I love therapy. I mean, I told I just told you I, I love therapy. I've had three therapists in the last two months, but therapy alone isn't gonna cut it because there's there's so many reasons but one of them is like the pathologization that happens when someone you know the internal pathologization the shame that happens with the therapy right i notice that people go into therapy in these seasons but then they stay there for a really long time they stay there forever and where is the reintegration back into their life their voice, their medicine. I feel really thankful to have a template for this in my own life because I do not think that I would have survived my first awakening. I think I would have fractured. I think I would have become any number of acronyms. I think I would have um, stayed stuck in the experience that I had in the moment that I started to have one of my first awakenings into my gift, into my voice, and my power, and my medicine. But I had elders around me. I had people around me who said, oh yeah, what you're experiencing, that's so normal. Listen, like, listen, your gifts got turned on and and this is what happened when you experienced that. Here's what you do next. This is how you determine what is the difference between your energy and someone else's, right? Offering me these tools, offering me these rituals to hold and catch me in the midst of... um, like an initiation um, that also had just a little, like if I if I didn't have my elders, I would have gone into a psychosis. Um, and I think this is an important conversation to have. I really, really do. I think it's an important conversation to have that is free from shame, that is free from um, judgment, and that allows people to be witnessed and to be held and to be met in a way that um, that super normalizes their experience and and is you know what I would say is spiritual harm reduction, right? This is spiritual harm reduction. There is a way that we can show up to the conversation of emptiness and emptying and desert medicine that supports people in not further fracturing their psyche, but calling in the parts of themselves that are averse to the experiences or over identifying with the experiences so that they can walk out of those moments whole, right? We really need that that support of integration in the desert medicine, right? I've never met a single shamanic practitioner, medicine person, like real, real, like death doula, death worker who hasn't first become a death walker, a forger of the in-between the in-between realms, meaning that they've gone there themselves. They've touched the frayed edges of their psyche. They know what it's like. I've never met someone who's good at this medicine who hasn't been there. 
I haven't met a single, single deep world practitioner, um, medicine person who hasn't had questions about their own mortality or their own medicine or their own significance on the earth. Like show me a raise of hands for anyone who's good at this work who hasn't been there, right? And so this is what I'm talking about is like we, like I really see like this like I'm like I have this is an exhortation for sure I just really see that we are missing folks who can really own that they've been there and that they know what that what it's like and that they came out whole there's a lot of folks in the world who are showing up to their voices and their medicine um but they're hiding these sort of edges of their psyche that have been frayed that have been burned by um the sight that they've been given, right? They've, they've become deeply afraid of the supernatural nature of their wisdom. And so in and of themselves, they are fracturing themselves off, right? And this is what I believe contributes to people who have really beautiful, high values and ways of being, but are afraid to live in them because it requires them to really go deep into that deep world and to fight for those values and to come out on the other side whole. These initiations that we are called to are not, they're not just like clever healing weekends, right? These deep world initiations are not waiting for us to show up with $1,500 and book a wilderness uh, rite of passage retreat. They're not, it's, it's not waiting for that. Right? Especially in this time where more and more and more and more and more people are awakening, awakening into their medicine. So I feel really thankful in this last season, even though I went into territory that I had never been in before, what I had was rapport with the mystery. What I had was rapport with my psyche. What I had was rapport with my ritual. So even as it got weird for me, um, I was able to anchor in to something. I was able to root myself here and find Find my way out through the dark, find my way out of the desert and come back. And, you know, it wasn't like this, like, you know, beautiful grounded experience the whole time where I didn't, you know, you know, like it, it wasn't this experience where I, I felt good the whole time. It was it was uh, horrific at times to be in my body and to be experiencing these things and to be moving and transiting through this this medicinal journey of the deep world. I had every opportunity to pathologize. I had other people who were pathologizing me. I had every opportunity to medicate myself um, in the midst of this journey because I was having rolling panic attacks to the point where I couldn't function. Um, my nervous system felt inflamed and in pain. It would have been in my right to medicate and to pathologize. But instead, I sought deep support and I leaned on my, the people around me. I leaned, leaned on the medicine of the grandmothers that were within me and around me. And I put my body on the cold, desertified soil of my yard and I prayed to the pinyons. I melted into the cedared, salted waters of my nightly baths to keep me alive and to pull me through and to keep me here. That's what I did. Right? So it wasn't this beautiful, you know, expansive journey where I was wearing lace in the woods. It was ugly. 
there were moments where I wanted to die. I felt like, oh, if this is the world, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in my body. I don't want to be in my body at this time. I had that thought. I was like, can we do, you know, can we do consciously, can we consciously decide to exit? I want to exit this world. I had that moment. I had that moment. And I felt very conscious that it was happening for me of like the emptiness was gripping. It was not cute. It was dark. But my rituals held me. And my people the ones who could really see what was going on, those people who in my life who have met that darkness themselves, right? They were like, mm, yeah, I see you. Everything that you're moving through right now is valid. There wasn't a moment where I felt invalidated with these people. You know, um, in Conjure, they talk about how magical maturity is about learning to work with both hands, learning to interface with both the light and the shadow with a certain kind of neutrality. And this is a core central skill, right? It's, it's actually core and central to many magical traditions of like, you not like, you know, like in, in the maturity of, of, of many magical traditions, there's no such thing as like a light worker, right? It's like you learn to work both hands, you learn how to communicate with all parts of the psyche, the wholeness. You learn how to communicate, you learn how to be with, you know, as a, you know, as a, a as medicinal herbal practitioners, you learn how to recognize both um, the plants that are going to serve you to be healthy and whole, like adaptogens, and also the poisons. And know that some of those poisons are, are going to be really good for extraction and purifying and supporting like mushrooms, right? Of, of restructuring the psyche, restructuring the body. You, you learn to work with both the, the adaptogenics and the tonics and, and the nervines. And then you also learn to work with the poisons. You learn to work with both hands. This is the skill of the matured magician. The role of the doula, the magician, the shaman, the medicine keeper, the song keeper is to tend to the land between the worlds. The land between um, that world in the past and the world that we're moving to. Because the truth is that when, when we're operating these roles, and I'm just assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're, you're someone who holds a specific kind of medicine. You're, you're some kind of doula, or ma- magician, or prayer warrior, or, or shaman. You have this penchant for calling forth the future that is unique in its essence, And there is a sense that sometimes you do feel alone in it. You have a lot of vision. You have a lot of insight. You have a lot of clarity about what the future can be. (laughs) And you're looking for the resources and tools to hold that imagining responsibly, right? I, I would imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, you have a vision, you have a dream. And it feels really big to hold at times, right? This is the role of the doula and the magician and the shaman and the the artist and the poet, the seer, it's to tend to the land between the worlds to call forth the future, right? To call forth the healing, to call forth the wholeness, to beckon the light into the dark. This is our role. And that means that we must be willing to greet, contend, and befriend all forces 
all phase, all aspects that we find in the in-between. I love how David Abrams writes about this in The Spell of the Sensuous. He says, to some extent, every adult in community is engaged in this process of listening and attuning to other presences that fluence daily life. But the shaman or the sorcerer is the exemplary voyager into the intermediate realm between the human and the more than human worlds. They are the primary strategist and negotiator in any dealings with the others. And it is only a result of her continual engagement with the animate powers that dwell beyond the human community that the traditional magician is able to alleviate many individual illnesses that arise within community. The sorcerer derives her ability to cure ailments from her continuous practice of healing or balancing the community's relation to the surrounding land. So there is this sense of like, in order to practice the medicine, you have to learn how it works. You have to learn how to hone it. You have to learn how to be in relationship with it. And so at sort of the the sky level, I was able to see that this experience was that, even though I've never experienced something to this depth before. Um, I have had experiences in the past that have been quite empathic and initiatory, and my guides and my like my my literal in real life spiritual guides came around me and before me to support me, to prophesy into my reality, to speak truth, to remind me of who I am and to call forth and to support me in honing my gifts that were being formed in those moments. So I see this as a similar moment of like, oh yeah, this is an initiation. I knew it in the midst of it and it felt hard as fuck to move through it. (laughs) So I just want to paint that as a reality, like, you know, being folks who can witness and see new potentials in the near future. Sometimes what we're called to embody, the medicines that we're called to bring are also the medicines that we're called to embody in a real way, right? So I felt like spirit was like, you want to serve the medicine of wholeness. All right, then you need to serve it to yourself first. You want to serve the medicine of the mended story, the mended myth, the mended psyche, Okay, then you need to learn how to suture your own fragmented psyche. You need to learn how how this works in a real way. You need to learn how to feel it in your body. What it means to not want to live here, not want to be here. You want to invite people to live for something? You need to dig deeper into the soil and to dig your roots deeper and figure out why you're here in the midst of one of the most painful experiences of your life. This is the medicine. This is the medicine. And, you know, I said, I said yes. And I'm so thankful that I had a support system to move me through my initiation. I'm so thankful. And so this brings me into this place of like, okay, so what's next? Um, because, you know, when we think about the between the worlds, right? This, this moment between when winter transitions into spring, the, the darkness before the break of dawn, what we see is like sort of a, like there's, there's sort of this, like I get this image of a seedling making its way up through the soil and into the world, right? And at that point when a, a seedling is just a tiny tenderling, it's not formed 
solid roots, there's nothing for it to really grasp hold of. At that at that point, the roots are is mostly just a, a tender tap root. And at the, at the smallest um, sort of of disruption, that root could fracture. So how do we how do we sow roots that can go have the potential to go really deep as the sun enters in? Life begins crawling around the earth again, right? Like as the warmth comes in, how do we support these tenderlings, these tender aspects of ourselves into deepening their roots? Well, it's not through um, rushing the belonging, but it's also through witnessing the fact that the soil of our culture is not set up to grow very rich um, nutrient rich, uh, like potentials, right? So, and this is like, this is something that I feel like I'm seeing a lot right now of like, I'm, I'm really like being asked to witness this is like, you know, asking it, it's again, like asking people to just go out there and be yourself and be brave is not enough information <laughs> because the world is not set up to hold and to nurture and to nourish people in doing that and being successful in that. So how do we sow roots that are nourished? Well, we, I believe, you know, we have to admit and look at the fact that we are in a belonging crisis. I feel like one of the biggest conversations that I've been having recently is do my real needs matter here? Do my real life human needs matter? We live in a culture um, and even amongst our closest friend groups where it, you know, these tender roots that we're sowing are barely standing a chance. Like most of us who are sowing deeper roots are like freaking survivors out here. Do you know what I mean? Like we're survivors. We're like weeds out here can survive any kind of climate and weather. <laughs> it's like you have to be a whole weed. You have to become a whole resilient weed in order to like stake your belonging in the world, right? We live in a belonging crisis where um, people are so easily discarded uh, by side-eye, um, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, and there's no path to relational repair. It's just very normal to discard people, to exile people from community. It's very normal to not have a community. It's very normal to have a friend group that has the depth of a puddle. It's like normal, and then we're asked to normalize it, continue to normalize it. I feel like a lot of psychotherapy, I mean, I followed a couple of psychotherapists on Instagram who have just have a very kind of cruel way of talking about the human experience. Like the way that they tell people to grow up is very cruel, right? It, it's, it's not nourishing. It's like you need to grow up because you need to become an adult and not everybody is going to like you. And it's like, okay, cool. That's great information. And how do I actually thrive and survive if I'm just this sole lonesome adult out in the world? Uh, like being an adult is ecosystemic. Being an adult is, is a deeply relational act. And we're trying to be adults in a world that is anti-relational, 
So how do we cope with that? How do we move with that? And most people move through it by having multiple therapists at a time forever and ever, or have, like having to take um, certain like you know psychiatrics to cope with being alive. And that's that is the reality of it. It's the reality doesn't stop at you need to become an adult and and own your shit. The reality is continues to go on to like you have to cope with being an adult by doing all of these things that are incongruent to your body and to your nature and having to just deal with the fact that like the world is sick and you're sick too. Welcome to sick land. Welcome to fractured psyche land. Welcome to anti-belonging land. Welcome to adulthood means that you don't get to belong anymore. You don't get to dream about that. You don't get to dream about the village and the community and and deeper relationships that um, go beyond. Do you want to go dancing? Do you want to go drinking? Um, and are filled with gossip and, and like subtle hatred toward each other. Like it's okay to not want to settle for that. And I just want to name that. Like we live, we exist inside of a belonging crisis, a meta crisis, a meaning crisis, and we have forgotten and we are, and I think this is the hope, we are relearning, many of us, many of us, these wild roots, some of us have these wild weed-like roots where we are like determined to relearn how to be ecological, right? And that's, and I think that's the purpose of weeds, a quote-unquote weeds, I'm not really a huge believer in that term, but you know, after after like sort of colonization of the land and things like that, um, new plants have had to come in to sort of restore the soil. So you have a lot of new species that have cropped up over the last couple of hundred years that have taken over the land, but have regenerated the soil in a way, right? So there's like this sense of like, okay, new cycles are coming in. How do we do this in a way that like, allows us to be whole in our nature as human beings on the earth. A lot of us are are desperately determined to relearn that. And we see that in symptoms of like, we're, we're all going to therapy, same symptoms. We're all going to therapy. We're all looking for, you know, the support to heal trauma. We're all trying to figure out how to be friends together. We've got therapy Instagram. We've got therapy TikTok. We've got all the things. We're all trying to do something about this belonging ecosystem ecosystem crisis that we're in so it's not a it's never a solo process right and i love this like experience of like we can open our eyes in the midst of this sowing deeper stronger slower roots as like sort of this is a this is sort of a medicinal magical calling forth process on the earth one of the movements I'm really inspired by and have been for a little while is the solar punk movement and regenerative design philosophies, which if you've been around in the podcast for a while, you know that the podcast was called Regenerative Mystic Podcast. It, it came from, um, in some ways, some of these philosophies. It also came from some conversations that I've had with my ex who really inspired me to publicize my thoughts and my philosophies and my learnings around regenerative design principles. And I, what I love about this movement is that it really centers wholeness and wholehearted being and ways of relating to ourselves, our presence, and our future through um, through the calling forth, through the beckoning forth of potentials, through design, through um, through future future casting, through creating new myths and new realities. Very artful, artful movement. 
And it also centers this idea that that this is not a solo process, but this is an ecosystemic process. This is something that we're doing with the collective imagination together, right? And the solar the solar punk movement and the regenerative design movement and the regenerative like gardening movement is all about looking at you know looking at what is here, witnessing what's here, and sort of designing for the essential nature. So designing for our human nature, designing for the nature of certain plants, certain animal species, the nature of the land, and fostering. Uh, more beautiful, nourishing environments for our roots to take a deeper stance and be alive and supportive and regenerative to the process, right? So um, regenerative gardens tend to have like stronger root systems, stronger mycelial networks, and they come back again and again and again each year, just supporting, like just the whole garden supports itself right in a sense um so if you've heard of like permaculture it's it's in the same um sort of category where like a permaculture garden is designed to be sort of a um sort of a self-sustaining um lightly tended ecosystem where all of the parts of the ecosystem support each other which is how the roots have an opportunity to take a deeper role and to feel safe in the environment so think about that of course in human relationships right what if we designed for our human relationships our sense of belonging our rights of passage from this from this um from this lens of regenerative mysticism and, you know, looking for what might happen if we honored the essential nature of every piece that that exists inside of the ecosystem. As if it, it fully and inherently and irre- irre- irrevocably belonged, right? We're not like, you know, it's not this, it's not like you're, you're picking weeds, right? You're not just throwing weeds out, but you're sort of restructuring the garden, knowing that certain plants are going to want to take root and take place there. But how can you, how can you allow that to do so in such a way that supports the whole ecosystem, the whole right? We know that certain experiences, certain trials, certain ways of being are going to show up because it's part of human nature to, um, to eat and to shit and to sweat and to fart and to, um, you know, to have disagreement and to have conflict and to have textures. It's, it's our human nature to like and to dislike. And how do we design for that in a way where folks within the ecosystem know that at the end of the day, they radically and inherently and irrevocably belong. And yes, I'm talking about even when things go radically wrong and people become criminalized in their fracturing behavior and activities, how do we support restorative justice systems in a way that allows people to um, really recognize the harm and the sickness that they're bringing into community and rectify their actions and their behaviors in a relational way, right? So um, preventing harm, and then harm reduction. So there's the preventing harm level. There's the harm reduction level, right? And then there's the adjustment level. 
right? There's like, there's like different levels of where we like, instead of jumping to the highest degree of punishment, when someone shows up and, you know, they're, they're, they're showing up in a way that's incongruent. Maybe they're moving through an awakening or maybe they're feeling, you know, incredibly abandoned and exiled and they don't know how to express it except through the harm. How do we meet that with a loving potential? With a, with a, with a, with a, an attempt to support and whole and heal. Like I even think about the, the narcissist, right? Like who are the narcissists in our lives and in our collective, right? Well, the sort of sickness of the narcissist is extreme exile. And they're so extremely exiled in their psyches and in themselves that they construct an entire identity, and everything, every part of who they are relies on people accepting and loving that identity. How do we meet that person in their experience with a wholeness, right? So just, I've just been asking these radical questions. Like, this is how we, I believe, we begin to slow roots that may be slower to root, but we'll take a stronger hold in the soil and thereby support the entire um, ecosystem as a whole in a much more beneficial way. We as people, when we're moving through transition and change, we need environments that can support us in sowing these deeply nourished roots. We need relational environments that are nourishing for our souls and not just nourishing for the ways we show up in our goodness, but nourishing in the ways that we show up in our trash ass behavior too, right? <laughs> we need cultures that can hold that. We need systems, um, collectives, friend groups that can actually hold the complexity of human experience and meet it, not just see it, but like meet it and nourish it and have new community holding skills, community holding skills that can actually hold and nurture the change that wants to take place in a person's life, a family's life. There's like, there's a miracle that's waiting there to happen, I believe. And so I've been learning a lot about this in this season, the season of slowly sowing roots, sowing slow roots, and just really recognizing, you know, you know, my roots, um, in this new city, going through this extremely intense breakup, uh, for all intensive and purposes, I say extremely intense, unlike any I've ever had before. Um, and I think mostly because there was just so much love and potential and hope there. And just recognizing that my roots were in like, you know, the sort of tender the tender seedling taproot phase of being here in this land and in this community. And I, you know, like, and maybe wasn't, this land and this community hasn't had all the nutrients that I've needed. So um, there's been this sort of like, having to like sort of scramble for belonging here that I've had to contend with and ultimately have found belonging in the key places that I need it, where I've needed support, I've needed um, relational medicine of being witnessed. Um, and then also my mentors and therapists and guides and spiritual team. Um, I think anyone who, who has been uprooted or is going through something like that, they would probably need as much support, if not more, um, 
as I needed. And so just having compassion and witnessing that in myself, letting that medicine, that realization move through me. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I get, I get, you know, I get Charlie from three years ago, um, a real name redacted. I get, you know, X, Y, and Z. I get it. 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 It makes sense. All of these things make sense. And so how do we um, nourish the soil so that the roots can take and, and really deeply um, root in and find their belonging and flourish here? How do we do that in our communities? How do we shift our friend groups into real life communities that can actually hold um, the, the like complexity and the beauty of that process, right? And so these are the questions that I'm bringing into the spring. These are the inquiries that I'm writing into. When I'm thinking about spring, um, the medicine of spring, um, from the the from the language of the four directions. I remember last season we talked about winter, and now I want to talk about spring and how spring is the east aspect of the soul, and it is the aspect of of wisdom, of knowledge, of light. Of, of knowing. It's also the aspect of initiation, of the becoming, right? So you come out of the dark of the winter and you enter into the spring. You come out of the dark of the night and you enter into the dawn, right? And so this is like airy season. This is like, you know, what are we doing? What are we bringing? What are we building? What are we creating? What are we establishing in the world kind of energy? You know, think about the energy of spring as we're moving through airy season, Taurus season, and Gemini season. And this whole season is about what are we bringing? What are the values that we're purporting? Um, and how are we making moves? How are we being about our talk um, in the cultures that we're cultivating in ourselves, our inner culture, and our external culture in the world? What are we really bringing through into the world? So I'm asking this question. I'm asking this question in the fresh dawn season, the earth season, the beginning, a new season. This is the season of initiation. This is a season of the happenings, right? It is the season of rebirth and becoming. And so as we settle into the season, I have a few prompts for you to move through this season with a little bit of uh, consideration and contemplation and to root yourself into, you know, what wants to happen here. So I'd love to start here um, in, you know, the Eastern aspect of the soul in the spring, in the season of the spirit, the innocent, the sage. What revelations are now unfolding within you? that are new for you? What newness is taking root in the soil of your life? What wants to be welcomed into your world? What new knowings, new people, new ways of being, um, new doctrines, new codes want to be welcomed into your world? What is being born? So just take a moment to just settle into that question. You might even pause the recording to write that down and know that in the show notes, I do have a guide for you that you can um, reference to walk yourself through these questions. Moving into the South aspect of the soul, the soil aspect of the soul, the wild indigenous one, the of the body, the inner child. Where do you feel these initiations, these new things taking place in your body and in your life? 
What is the earth teaching you? What is it saying about your reformation? What progressions can you see? And what progressions are you unseeing? What, what potentials that you thought were happening are that you're now like, oh, this, this, I need to sit with my disappointment here. I need to sit with my um, sort of faded desire here. What desires do you have? Where do you feel the safest and the most at home in your body? Are you able to access your wonder, your delight, your sense of sensuality and play? Where are you finding the most liberation in your body, your community, your voice, and your home? Where are you finding grace? Moving into the West aspect of the soul, the soul aspect, psyche, the muse and the inner beloved, what parts of this season have invited you to to witness your inner mysteries? What poems, songs, images are playing against the screen of your imagination? What shadows have greeted you there? What are you growing in courage to face? Can you access the beauty of this season, of this aspect of your soul? Can you poet through? Can you sing a new song? What parts of yourself are you learning to deeply love in this season and this aspect of your soul, the West aspect. And then finally, we come to the North, this aspect of society of coming um, into the dark. This is, I love the way that the North takes shape in the world because it's all about how are we surviving winter? What are we, what are we sowing into the culture, right? This is the nurturing generative adult. This is the part of us, the part of us that gets up and starts to embody a role for the sake of the whole. What about this season drew you deeper into harmony with yourself and your clarity about your role and your work in the world? What do you know now about who you are that you didn't know at the beginning of winter? And then what did the dark of the midnight season of winter reveal about your soul? What medicines are coming through that you feel like you've been asked to swallow, to move with, and to hone? What wants to be developed? What wants to be known? What is being called forth in you? So as you consider these questions for your spring beginnings, don't forget to root down into the soil. Even just put your body on the dirt for a little while, even if it's a little bit cold. And just remember that you are of earth, right? You, you need environments that can support your becoming. Um, you need nutrition and nourishment. You need relationality. Even if your relationality in this season is with the more than human realm and the planetary ancestors of like Saturn, Pluto, and the stars, you need relationship to survive, And there's no shame in that. You're not here to do the world alone. You're not here to do the world solo. Part of, 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 and what I love about the medicine of the four directions, it really teaches us this, is that part of being able to survive winter is being able to um, be connected, to be relational, and to know that your resources can't just come from you. Like you need resources from the land, You need the warmth of other bodies, the fire, the elements, the water, the warmth. You need more than just you to survive. 
You need roots that are deep in the soil, that are connected to other life forms. You need that to survive. So if this season has been really hard for you, if you've been moving through that, I I just want to remind you and, and witness you in the sense of like, we are here to be relational. We are here to be relationship in relationship together. And we can't survive the world alone. Like we need the grocery store clerk, we need the barista, we need the farmer, right? We need the land. We need the food from the, the trees in our yards and, and from the soil wax from the bees we're here to be relational we are not solo creatures thank you so much for listening thank you for considering thank you for being here show yourself some grace this week i'll see you next time thank you so much for listening to the podcast this podcast is brought to you by ken spirit an emergent spiritual collective of creatives and dreamers who are dedicated to the work of bridging the gap between the everyday and the sacred and storying our way through great change. Your listenership means the world to us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider adding an honest rating and a written review so that more people can find the conversations we're holding. In between episodes, you can find us on social media at Kinspirit or kinspirit.podcast. And you can find me, your resident story doula at thestorydoula.co. Until next time, see you later.